The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry ran out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's something, there's something kind of raw. There's a raw energy to First Thessalonians. Scholars think it's probably the earliest written of all of our documents in the New Testament. Of course, the events of Jesus' life that we read about in the Gospels happened before what Paul writes about in First Thessalonians. The events of Pentecost happened before Paul gets around to writing First Thessalonians. But by the time that Luke wrote Acts and, of course, his gospel, by the time that all the evangelists finished up the final forms of their gospels, Paul's letters had mostly been written, and this one is probably the earliest. In fact, I was in a, a class uh, this, this fall. I'm reading through Romans and Greek with some colleagues, and, uh, and we noticed that the, the opening to the letters, First and Second Thessalonians, uh, differs from the opening of many of Paul's other letters. It seems like Paul was still kind of settling into, into his uh, signature style. Now, the other thing that I love about uh, 1 Thessalonians is that it, it is written to a community uh, where I get a cameo in the Bible. You're reading chapter 17. This is the story of Paul's uh, planting the church in Thessalonica uh, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, you know, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue. This is Acts chapter 17. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Obviously, those Scriptures being the Old Testament Scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. Explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you, he said, is the Messiah. Now, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, 
These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has entertained them. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and they made Jason and the others post-bond and let them go. So I guess there could be worse things on my tombstone than Jason has entertained them. But uh, this was a short time that Paul was in Thessalonica, and, and he wasn't just teaching them. In fact, we read from the beginning parts of the first letter to the Thessalonians that he actually, like he usually did, he labored among them. He worked. He was a, a tent maker, a, a leather worker, and, and so he would have been, been earning his own keep. He would have been working. So he did not have a whole lot of time to teach them all that he had to teach. And you get this sense from First Thessalonians that he's like, oh yeah, I... I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't make that clear. Let me, let me clear this up. You even get that in 2 Thessalonians, where it seems like some things he said in 1 Thessalonians maybe didn't land right, and he had to say, no, when I said you need to wait for the day of the Lord, I don't mean you just you know, stop working, go sit up on a hill and wait for him to come back. Uh, but here in 1 Thessalonians, he is talking about what we refer to in the creed as the time when he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. It's hard to know what exactly that is supposed to look like. The fact is, God has in his wisdom not given us a whole lot of clarity in his word about what we should exactly expect in fact, Jesus even says in Matthew, we were in the Bible study in a year group, um, we were talking about that this morning, the part of Matthew that we're in, Jesus basically says, look, you're going to know it when you see it. If you hear people talking about it, but you're not sure that, 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 that this has happened, then it hasn't happened yet. You're going to know it when you see it. But there's, of course, naturally a, a great deal of speculation, just what is going to happen and when and what's it going to be like and and Jesus says, be ready. Well, so how do I be ready? Some Christians have interpreted this passage and uh, constructed from it and some other passages of Scripture a doctrine uh, known as the rapture. You may have heard of that. Has anybody, has anybody heard of the rapture? The, 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 the rapture? the definition of the rapture is when you look out the window and see people floating up into clouds and you say, well, I'll be damned. That, that is not, no. No, the, the, the idea of, of the rapture is that God will come and will save His people and protect them from a, a great, uh, a great thlipsis is the Greek, a great persecution or suffering or tribulation. Um, and, uh, and God's going to save His people so that they don't have to suffer that. Other understandings of that hold that they're going to have to deal with some of the tribulation, but He's going to snatch them up in the middle of it, and then you have the uh, post-trib uh, rapture where they actually have to suffer the tribulation, but then they get raptured. I, I don't think that's what's going on here, and, and here's why. I know, looking around, that most of you, like me, remember what it was like kids, I know you don't, Gabriella, I'm sure you don't, but there was a time when you could go to the airport and pick somebody up somewhere other than the baggage claim, right? It, basically, the, the test of how much you loved somebody was whether you would actually bother to park 
go all the way in and meet them at the gate, right? And the test of how, pl- how good uh, you were at organizing your life was whether you had to park in the really expensive parking right by the airport because that was the only way you were going to make it to the gate on time or if you got there in time to, to get the cheap parking. But, um, but it used to be when you would go and welcome somebody, you would go there in the gate and they would come out and everybody hugs and kisses. There's this huge crush of people and all the business people who just want to get to their hotel so they can get ready for the meeting in the morning and rolling their eyes and trying to dodge these families. You can't do that anymore, of course, uh, thanks, to, uh, thanks to 9-11 and all the, the security that we do. But the picture that Paul is drawing here of God's people going up to meet him in the air is one of going out to welcome somebody who is coming to where he belongs, right? Another picture would be if there's a, a victorious general who is coming back into the city after a great triumph, or a king who's just won a decisive victory, and he's coming into his, into his home city, into to his own palace, and the, the people go out of the city and they greet him and they cheer him as he comes in. The, he's coming in. They're coming from where they were to where he is to welcome him, and then they're going to go back to where they were. You don't go to the airport. Well, you couldn't. You can't now, but when you could, you don't go to the airport to welcome somebody and then walk with them back onto the plane to go fly someplace else. The picture here, I think, in 1 Thessalonians is not one of God's people being snatched up out of the earth to some disembodied existence in the heavenly realms. What we're talking about here is God's people welcoming their king as he comes to implement the fullness of his kingdom. See, the prophets say that God is creating a new heavens and a new earth, that God will renew all things. He doesn't ditch all the material stuff and only focus on vague spiritual existence. No, we read the very first thing we read in Scripture about God is that He made the heavens and the earth. He loves both. And the picture that we get at the very end of the book in Revelation is of the new Jerusalem, the, the, the holy city coming down out of heavens onto the earth, and we have a, a full integration of that which is God's reign in heaven and on earth. This story that begins as a, as a kernel in, in a garden ends in a city. So when we welcome our Lord, whether we are those who have fallen asleep and are brought up first to greet Him, or whether we are those who are still around when He comes, when He comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead, we will have before us the reality that we sing about in that hymn This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. Amen.